Welcome to I Thought I'd Be Rich By Now, the podcast for millennial women to obsess. I'm your host, Deborah. Thank you so much for joining me. If you are enjoying this little independent podcast, please rate and review. That really does help us. So thank you in advance. I can't believe it's almost the end of September and this like whole summer has just flown by. I I really can't believe that it's starting to get to like fall weather. I just am so in the mindset of hot weather, being outside, wanting to be near water, patios, like everything that summer is about. So it's just hard to get my mindset into that. I just can't believe it's almost the end of September. I love fall, but like fall lasts for, you know, a couple weeks. And then here it's winter, like forever, for months and months and months and never ends. It's like 19 months of winter and then like two months of summer. Anyways, I'll stop. At least we have some things to be thankful for. I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be able to get on a plane and go on vacation, which I haven't done in a really long time. Also, we have Jen and Ben's love. I can't explain the happiness that I felt when I first saw that Jen and Ben were back together again like when they were legit back together and now that they're married it just like uh, the young version of me who watched their love blossom from the beginning is just so happy inside I hope they last forever truly I hope they last forever I love them now from happy news to super annoying news So Netflix announced that they're canceling First Kill, which I discussed all the reasons I enjoyed this show on episode 10. So I'm super glad that I watched it before because as I talked about in one of the previous episodes, once a show gets canceled, I'm like so uninterested in investing time into watching it again. It's just so hard for me to do that even when I know it's a really good show because you just already know that there's going to be no reward for your investment and that's not true because I'm still really happy that I watched First Kill. I thought it was a really fun show that took me like a day or two to watch. So I'm glad I watched it before knowing that it was canceled because it just kind of takes away some of the fun of watching it. Some of the fun is thinking oh what's going to happen next season? Like what are they going to do? What are the writers going to do? what new actors are going to come on board, blah, blah, blah. And you just don't have that once you know a show is canceled. However, if you're not like me and you don't care, I would still recommend watching First Kill. It was uh, quite a fun vampire, like young adult type show. Okay, we're going to talk Yellow Jackets. This is a spoiler-free-ish recap on the Showtime show. There are a couple things that may be minor spoilers, but I'm not going to be talking about anything too specific. In 1996, a talented New Jersey high school girls soccer team crashes in the Canadian wilderness while on their way to a tournament. So their plane crashes. Against all odds, the majority of the young women survive the crash. They're trying to survive while dealing with the social dynamics that followed them from their real life to their crash site life. There's a creepy, sinister element hanging over the students that points towards a possible supernatural element near where they crashed. 
some of the students are kind of leaning towards believing in a supernatural aura or element and others are completely against that and think it's ridiculous. The show goes back and forth between 1996 and present day life. It's obvious that some really messed up things happened back in 96 when they were stranded, but it's not quite clear exactly what happened. We see that this was a massive story in their community when it first occurred and the women are still dealing with their fallout or with the fallout to a certain extent in their own present day lives. The show stars Melanie Linsky as the adult version of Shauna, who is, of course, one of the soccer players. I really enjoy Melanie Linsky, but I've been the worst fan. So I only watched episode one of Togetherness, her show with Amanda Peet on HBO, and I kept saying my classic line, I'm definitely going back to watch the rest of the show. Her second show that I kept saying that for and which I watch a lot more than togetherness was Castle Rock a Hulu show that I remember being really interesting and very creepy why I didn't finish it who knows but I made a promise to Melanie Linsky that she'll never know about but in my heart I told her that I was going to see Yellow Jackets through no matter what and I did it at the time of writing this I have not finished Yellow Jackets but I will before this goes up to air also, I did watch Don't Look Up, which was a more enter- which was a lot more entertaining than I had expected. So that's the Netflix movie, Don't Look Up. Spoiler alert for that movie, big spoiler alert. I also liked her character in that movie a lot, but I think she should have shot Leo's character in the end. That's my fan fiction. As detoured as this has gotten, we're going up another side street because I had just mentioned Amanda Peet from Togetherness. But it reminded me that on the plane, I started watching season two of Dirty John on Netflix. And Amanda P. and Christian Slater are obviously very talented actors and they do a really great job in this. And as I said a hundred times in my life, but I'm definitely going back to watch the rest of that show eventually. Please send me an email to keep me on track. I thought I'd be rich by now at gmail.com. Okay. We're getting this train back on the tracks. If you don't recall, we're talking about Yellow Jackets, the show that balances back and forth between the plane crash in 1996 and present day. Shauna, played by Melanie Linsky, comes across as a nice, typical woman who stayed in her hometown, got married, has a house in the suburbs, and seems bored and unfulfilled. She has this veneer of a normal and even enviable regular life, But under the surface, there are decades of keeping and hiding secrets and feelings of guilt that would not just affect her personal life if they got out, but they would be of great interest to the media, her community, and even law enforcement. Juliette Lewis is the adult version of Natalie, who was the goth girl slash bad girl in high school, and basically maintained that reputation well into adulthood. She makes pretty poor decisions and is also sensitive and has clearly struggled under the weight of her experience during their plane crash days and has spent a lifetime of trying to come to terms with it all. Tawny Cypress plays the adult version of Thaisa. Thaisa was a force to be reckoned with in high school, so it's no surprise that she grew up to be such an influential leader and she decides to run for office. 
But when you have so many dark secrets to keep hidden, you have to be savvy and ruthless. And that is exactly what she is. As much as I love Melanie, Tawny, and Juliet in these roles, the breakout star, and it's so funny to call her a breakout star, is none other than Christina Ritchie. Christina Ritchie is only 42, but she feels like she's been around forever, and it's because she literally has. She's been acting since she was a little girl, like a little, little girl. There's a lot of discussion around child stars and what they go through and what happens to them. Recently, of course, Britney Spears and even Millie Bobby Brown. But what about Christina Ritchie? I am sure she has some crazy stories to tell. Go back and see how young she was in Mermaids with Cher and Winona Ryder. She was Wednesday Adams, of course, iconically. And she starred in Casper. That's where I first know her from. It was the Casper movie from 1995. But my ultimate Christina Ritchie movie is Now and Then. My sister, my cousins, and I, we watched that movie so many times way back in the day. And if you recall, Christina Ritchie played the younger version of Rosie O'Donnell. So now in Yellow Jackets, she plays the older version of her character, Misty. Misty is the worst and the best. She is that girl who got bullied in high school for being a nerd and socially awkward and gave people the creeps. But then you realize she's like really actually creepy but also kind and lovable in a super weird and toxic way but you also wouldn't be surprised to hear if she was involved in an abusive cult or something like that as the leader misty is a devious and layered character and with her long career it shouldn't be surprising how good christina ritchie is in this role and update i did finish watching yellow jackets If you're in Canada, you can watch it on the Crave app. Yellow Jackets, I found to be pretty unique. I enjoyed the mystery of it and the mystery that continues, and I'm super excited to see what happens in season two. The most recent book I listened to was The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. I listened to the audiobook, and I have to say I really loved listening to it, But I also know I would have loved curling up on the couch and reading this. This is, it's hard to say because all books are reader type books. But now because I'm so used to listening to audiobooks, there are certain ones that you're like, I'm happy I listened to that. It wasn't, it's mean to say, but certain books, you're just like, that wasn't worth my investment of my time where I couldn't multitask by just sitting and reading it but this is a book that you could just sit and read and take your time with i very much enjoyed this book in many ways this is a book for my 13 year old self and as a 36 year old i enjoyed it just as much it's just so imaginative and mysterious and opens up new worlds And it just reminds me of all the things that I loved about reading when I was a kid. So I would highly recommend this book, whether in audio or book form. It was just a really enjoyable read. The 10,000 Doors of January follows the story of a little girl in the early 20th century named January Scholar. 
She lives in a big mansion and is semi-raised by one of America's richest men, Cornelius Locke. January's mother died when she was a baby, and her father works for Cornelius Locke by traveling the world, collecting valuable artifacts and treasures for the rich man's personal collection. January is mixed race, and no one can quite tell what her ethnicity is, but they know she's not white, and although she grows up in a time when there is race segregation, she mostly avoids it as everyone knows she's under the protection of Locke, her father's rich boss. Locke takes charge of January's education and daily upbringing as her father is hardly around. January looks to Locke as a father figure, but she loves her real father and her greatest wish is that he takes her one day on one of his long journeys. When she's a little girl, she discovers a door in a field. She opens it and walks through and it seems to transport her to a place that seems like another world. She quickly comes back and tells Mr. Locke of her magic finding. Soon after telling him, she finds that the door has been destroyed, and Locke tries to convince her that it was all her active imagination. January puts the whole event behind her, but as she grows up, she never has forgotten about the door. One day, when exploring the mansion she lives in and all of Mr. Locke's artifacts that litter their home, she finds an amazing book that tells the tale of a young woman from the American South who discovered her own magic door. The woman grows up and starts traveling the world looking for more and more hidden doors that can transport people to unbelievable places. When January gets bad news about her father, the teenager decides that she doesn't want to sit around and let other people tell her how to live her life. She wants adventure and she wants to get out and see the world. Besides Mr. Locke and his group of really rich friends that all collect artifacts, other characters in the book include Jane, who's a mysterious African woman that shows up at their house one day and tells January that her father had sent her back to America and told him or told her that she would find a job kind of as a nursemaid to January, even though she's kind of too old for that at the moment. And Jane becomes a good friend to January. She also has a friend named Samuel Zappia, who is the son of the Italian grocer. And they kind of bond when they're kids over the stories that they love. But as they get older, it's kind of untoward to be good friends with a boy. So they kind of drift apart, although they always share that bond. But the most important character besides January in the book is Bad, in short for Sinbad. And that's her dog that she gets when he's a puppy. And they have such a strong bond and he's so loyal and he's such a cute part of the book. As I said, I feel like the author, Alex E. Harrow, wrote this book for me. I love nostalgia, and it reminds me of a book that I read when I was in middle school that I've never been able to find again, and it's about finding kind of a secret door and notes on the secret garden, but it's it's kind of similar to that, and I think a lot of kids do this, and myself included. But when you read, it was for me like reading and watching movies was just such an escape from real life. And the best escapes are ones that include magic and include secret places and places that you can get away to where anything's possible. And there are lots of people that are so into true stories, into history and all of that. And that's wonderful. 
but I can never love anything as much as I love fiction because fiction and stories like that were the first place that I learned as a kid to get away. So if you were going through anything stressful or sad or hard or just anything like that, it's so wonderful to introduce children to fiction. It gives them this place that they can escape to and that for a few hours or a few pages a night, they can just go to this amazing magical world where anything is possible. And I think right now, everyone needs a little bit of that. So if you want to feel like a kid again, and if you want to read a story that, yes, has some sadness and some pain, but also leaves you with hope and excitement and mystery, I think this would be a really nice book for you to read. I don't know what the right word is, but at the moment I am absorbing or taking part in so many different media right now, um, including books, podcasts, shows, etc. So I'm just going to tell you everything that I'm watching, listening to right now. If you've listened to any of the other episodes, you know that I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. Right now, I recently, or I'm getting to the end of the Down the Hill podcast by HLN. Um, Down the Hill is about the Delphi, Indiana, like truly devastating murders of two little girls. I believe they were around 13 or 14. Liberty German and Abigail Williams. Um, their bodies were found in 2017. And of course, that's like a horrific story and so sad on its own. But part of what I think captured so many people's attention and got so many people really interested in this case was the fact that one of the little girls, um, Liberty German, she she had taken a video of who the police believe is the perpetrator of this crime. She got a little video of that person and they released it and it's it's still grainy, it's still blurry and you can hear the the man on the video say girls down the hill. And that kind of became synonymous uh with this crime was that man saying down the hill and it's just so freaky that they have him on camera, they have his voice and still have not been able to locate who this man is. So that's the name of the podcast Down the Hill. I thought it was really well done. When you read true crime stories or you like or you listen to podcasts, there are certain things that stay in your mind, certain crimes that you constantly come back to. And I had read a lot about this before I ever listened to the podcast. And I'll visit some of their several subreddits just dedicated to this situation, to the murder of these little girls and finding who was responsible. And so just one of those things that always stays in the back of your mind and there have been recent updates. So if you're interested at all, just search for um, the Delphi murders on Reddit or just on Google and you'll see uh, news updates about it right now. But they're searching like, a, I believe, a river or a lake not super far from one of the suspects homes. So everyone's just kind of waiting to see what happens from there. But the podcast itself by HLN, I found to be really good and very in-depth and just gave a lot of details 
about this uh, about this situation that I didn't know about. And there's a lot of things that the public doesn't know because law enforcement never released it for their own reasons. Like I'm sure we will find out one day once the um, people responsible are caught, but I'm sure they're keeping all of those details close to the vest just because it, it's, I, I'm assuming it's one of those situations where certain things were left in a certain way at the crime scene and only the person responsible would know that and so they don't want to release that information so that when they catch the person or persons responsible one day they can kind of verify who's telling the truth and who isn't based on that information that they've never released another interesting podcast is lisk um, L-I-S-K for the Long Island serial killer, which I had not heard about before I listened to this. It was a very interesting and obviously very sad podcast. Um, most of the victims of the Long Island serial killer um, were, were sex workers, women working in prostitution, women working in just very vulnerable situations, but were also who were strong women and who were loved by their family and friends and valued. And I I really appreciated that this podcast humanized these women and they also spoke to a reporter for a local paper who she she really pursued this story because she compared a one, one of these women um, who was a sex worker going missing or being killed, something like that. She compared it to another woman in the neighborhood um, that she lived in that she saw that woman's face plastered everywhere and she wasn't a sex worker and just kind of compared the treatment in society between the woman who would be considered an upstanding citizen valued by society versus a woman who is not valued by society. So it, it just, I, I really appreciated what this podcast did to just show these women as people, as human beings, of course. And then on top of it, just the, the story itself was so interesting and so terrifying to think what so many of these women went through. There is a season two. I haven't listened to it yet, but I would recommend season one so far. I'm also listening to season two of Final Days on Earth with Claire Sanema. I listened to season one of her podcast and season two is a completely different case. I just think Claire Sanema is a very good reporter and she has a great voice for podcasting. So I just will probably listen to anything that she does. Final Days on Earth is also an independent podcast. So I always want to support independent creators like her that are creating really um quality content out there and you should too i'm also listening to season one of appalachian mysteria anytime you search for interesting or what's a good true crime podcast to listen to appalachian mysteria always comes up so I, like i have a ton of shows that are added to my podcast list and sometimes i don't get to it and i unfollow it and then when i read lists again of what to listen to i add it i'm like why does this look familiar oh yeah it was a podcast that i never listened to before so i think that's what happened with appalachian mysteria but i did actually start listening to it and it is quite good so I'm listening to that as of right now, and you should too. Also, there was an update 
episode on a podcast that I listened to. I'm just looking it up because I forget the name. Oh, yes. Complicit. Complicit is also an independent podcast and it is about the case of Lauren DeMolo. And there was just a recent update in case you listened to that before. You should listen to the update episode. I finally read Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. My dear friend from book club lent me this book pre-pandemic. That's how long I've had it. Every time I see this book, I feel so guilty. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have to return that back to its rightful owner. And I actually just finished the book today. I'm not surprised at all that I enjoyed it because... The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is one of my favorites, and that was also written by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And Daisy Jones and the Six was, it was fun. It was obviously rock and roll. It was heartbreaking. It was just a fun book, and you can see how this is going to work well for, I, I believe they're making it into a miniseries, into a limited series. Well, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know who the actress is that's playing Daisy, I'm like that. I hate seeing who's going to be the actors in certain roles because I like to imagine them myself. The person that I kept picturing as Daisy is uh, the Canadian actress Hannah Gross. And she was from the show Mindhunter on Netflix, which I will never stop bitching about the fact that that show was canceled. Like, such a good show. I'm so mad that that show was canceled. But anyways, Hannah Gross from that show, I I just picture her as Daisy Jones. Certain people have like a look you associate with a certain time period. And Mindhunter is also set in the past i'm trying to remember i'm looking it up right now when mindhunter was set in exactly so mindhunter is set in the 70s and daisy jones is in the 70s and i just picture hannah gross as like embodying that she could be the kind of like rock and roll drinking drugged out like hot skinny unhealthy rock star super you know like just to have that kind of dark hot energy about her and that's that's who I pictured immediately but this is a spoiler but the person that's going to be playing Daisy Jones is Riley Keough and I love Riley Keough in Zola and she has that look about her too she could totally play somebody in the 60s or 70s like obviously anybody can but you know there are just certain people that have the look that you associate with that time period I would say that Riley Keough to me is a little bit more polished she's really like beautiful attractive I think just to me Hannah Gross has a little bit more of that edge to her but I'm sure that Riley Keough will do a great job in the show but anyways, my I'm I'm just proud of myself that I finally finished the book. I have so many new books. It's unbelievable. Like I should not be allowed to go into a bookstore or to get anything else on Audible right now just because 
I'm so stressed out and filled with anxiety looking at all the books that I still have to read. I thought reading was supposed to bring you pleasure, but no, it just brings you anxiety because there's always the push and pull of what you want to read versus what you need to read versus what you have to read versus the money that you want to spend versus the amount of time in a day and all the other obligations that you have. So as much as I love reading, it brings me so much stress all the time. Every month is a calculation of when I'm going to read, like when I'm going to find the time to do that. And also it's just so much wasting time on your phone. It's crazy to think how much time I spend on my phone, like doom scrolling versus all of the books that I could get through in that time. I just, I need to put like a kill switch on my phone that no matter what, it's going to die certain, like during certain hours of the day, no matter what. And that's my time to read. And like, I can't access my phone. Someone should come up with something like that. Something else I'm watching right now is We Own the City on HBO, starring John Bernthal, which you all should know from The Punisher or The Walking Dead or the movie Ford versus Ferrari, where he played Lee Iacocca. And I only bring that up just because I love saying Lee Iacocca. It also stars Wumi Mosaku and Jamie Hector, who is on one of my favorite shows ever, Bosch. And Josh Charles, who you will never look at the same again if you loved him as Will on The Good Wife. You will not have those warm, fuzzy feelings about him in this show. I've also watched the first episodes of the new uh, Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon, which like with all of the complicated, controversial feelings that so many people had with the end of Game of Thrones, I will say House of the Dragon brings back those original feelings that everyone had for Game of Thrones of, you know, kind of like this show is going to be amazing and like I didn't know how I felt about a spinoff of such like a huge culturally impactful show I'm like you know you always feel like are they milking it anyways the first episodes that I've watched were like they're building the hype and I was excited to watch you know the next episode and I'm excited to see what comes next so I hope they live up to it, but so far, so good. I'm also all caught up on She-Hulk, Attorney at Law with Tatiana Maslany. That's just a fun show, like, so far. It's fun. People were freaking out over a twerking scene at, like, the end of... It's it's supposed to be a funny show. You can even think it's cringe, but the amount of people that pretend like there isn't tons of cringe in all of their shows that they watched like especially a superhero movie and a superhero show that's appealing to mass audiences like what's wrong with people it's just a dumb funny stupid twerking scene like people need to chill out so as you can see I am not watching or reading or listening to enough things so if you have any recommendations for me or something you think that I should be watching or listening to that you think is interesting please connect with me on social media on Instagram at I thought I'd be rich by now or email me directly at I thought I'd be rich by now at gmail.com 
If you've enjoyed this at all, please rate and review. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back next time. Goodbye.